We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's your Friday episode of the OBR Film Breakdown. That means we're going behind enemy lines to learn everything we can from an inside source around the Baltimore Ravens. The Browns have a gigantic AFC North battle coming up on Sunday, and I think it's important to get to know, especially the first time these two teams get together for the year, know a lot about the coaching, the personnel, everything around their schemes and sort of the decisions they're looking to make. So we have a great guest today learning all we can about the Baltimore Ravens. Let's get going on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. Watson on first down, throwing towards the end zone, wide open, Ford for the touchdown. On third and ten, Gary, burying Tannehill. Play action for Watson's going to take a shot, Cooper, wide open, touchdown. Watson to Cooper for the knockout strike. Welcome in everybody, it's Friday, it's a long week, hopefully you guys have had a great week. A lot of good episodes that have happened this week, including some good conversations around the Browns' defense, uh, what strides the offense was able to take throughout uh, an important game Sunday where their rhythm sort of picked up by the end of it. And I think we've covered just about everything we can. If you missed the most recent episode, myself, Andrew Spade, Jordan Zerm, spent the first portion of yesterday's podcast going over how we think the Browns beat the Ravens and then shifted to some broader NFL stuff which is always a fun time, a really long one, but again, a lot of fun topics that you get to hit on during those episodes. We watched the Detroit Lions, I said it, Detroit, go into Green Bay and really control that football game outside of the second half, like the third quarter, early fourth, when it was uh, pretty much no contest at that point. The Packers kind of flirted with a comeback, but you know, Detroit put it away at the end. The Lions are proving to be a very serious NFC North team, and wouldn't it be great Right, if the if the Great Lakes Classic, the Browns and the and the and the Lions, two perpetually struggling franchises, could be good at the same time. You would really like Cleveland to go into this one, go to three and one, be sitting in the same spot as the Lions and feeling really good about themselves. So uh, that's obviously the weekend's goal, and hopefully we can see that come to fruition. Uh, just encouraging to see another organization. Uh, kind of uprising right around a, a division that's there for the taking kind of the same way we view the AFC North to an extent so all right we want to cover what happened in Berea obviously late in the week practices are really important 
Thursday practice important, Friday practice even more important. We'll cover the things we know about the all-important Friday injury report uh, when we get to Saturday morning's pod for you guys. But I'll give you everything we know from Berea today. Um, you know, Kevin Stefanski spent some time talking and uh, spent really an interesting amount of time talking about empty because pe- people sort of hate empty gun stuff, right? They they can't seem to stand that, and it's always funny to me. You know, Stefanski said, I would say we've been empty a lot over my course of time here, especially in the last couple of years. It's a big part of what we do. Every game is going to call for a different game plan, so not trying to give away any trade secrets, but empty is a big part of what we do. And then... You know, he was asked uh, some of the reasons that they use that because I think that's a fair question, and he answered it the way I think is simplistic and logical. You do it because you're trying to find easy completions, clear up the vision for your quarterback, you know, clear up maybe who's blitzing. It's easy to see who is going to be kind of a pressure threat when you're spread out because the nickel, for example, can't dis- uh, disguise as much as maybe he can in a tighter bunched, bunched up formation you know, with backs in the backfield, stuff like that. So it spaces the defense out, Kevin said, makes the defense kind of commit to what they want to do. They can still disguise, they can still bring heat, but they kind of have to show it a little bit earlier. So you get a bit more reaction time, a bit more ability to predict what they're going to do to use the whole field. Amari Cooper talked about the positives of the same thing in empty formations. He said, empty helps in a variety of ways. I think from the quarterback position, when everything is spread out like that, Watson's able to see the defense better. Also, some movement out of empty you can do. He's able to understand what coverage you're running, things like that. So it definitely helps. And Alex Van Pelt kind of echoed a lot of the same things. And then uh, Stefanski had a chance to talk about Watson. He feels like some things are starting to click. He said he think he played at a high level. I see him playing at a high level at practice. I've seen it in games. So it's just a continuation of the work that he is putting in. Another interesting conversation from Stefanski is about input from players during games, specifically Amari Cooper. Uh, we'll do this a lot in games. He said, I tell guys all the time, those players have the best seat in the house. They can see it better than we can. He had uh, mentioned, and Watson mentioned too, Coop and him, you know, talk on the sidelines in between drives. And those those conversations resulted in some big plays, especially that 43-yard touchdown to cap the scoring drive against the Titans. He said a couple of go routes, things like that. Watson said, you know, a couple of back shoulders the previous week. So it's just kind of like a thing, kind of pops up in the, uh, and you know, on the sideline, and and then you kind of figure out how a corner is playing you in game, make adjustments, things like that. And again, Stefanski noted Amari's very intelligent, so it's not like he's coming up and saying "Get me the ball," which he's done before. Uh, even a quiet guy will go up to his coach as a wide receiver and say that. But he can give you great insight into routes. He thinks that the team should be running what we should run. Um, you know, in any given scenario, and he would he would talk about setting teams up right to come back to different things later. And Watson said, "There's a comfort." working with Cooper because that relationship really does seem to be budding in a, in a really fun way between those guys uh, as there's a lot of trust there. I think that's pretty obvious to see in my opinion. So Watson spoke about, you know, it's awesome to have a receiver who's as smart as Cooper, who's a veteran who understands what we want uh, from him specifically, what the game plan's coming from. And then uh, just about really, he said, uh, saying, uh, sitting out there talking about coverages, things of that nature, he said, so with him being able to communicate with me and I communicate with him, we're on the same page. A lot of good things have happened. Cooper leads the Browns, 17 catches, 243 yards, that touchdown last week, eighth in the AFC in receiving yardage. And uh, his communication, Watson echoed, was is really important, right, with the, with the entire wide receiver group. He said, some things I won't be able to see in live action, maybe a guy on the backside, and I'm working the front side on a play call, so getting input on what the back side of my eyes, you know, what my eyes can't see is important communication with those wide receivers. So 
you know, he said, when I come to the sideline, I see the picture. I'm able to check that out and we can draw up and, and kind of conceive some big plays from that. And Cooper echoed that sentiment. It's interesting how much communication can help with the wide receiver quarterback relationship. We just communicate. We're not shy from ever over communicating because we're just trying to be better players and make more plays for the team. And for that to happen, we definitely have to have that chemistry. So uh, there's definitely a chemistry growing and it's good to see, right? And that development of those two, you know, uh, Cooper becoming sort of Watson's version of DeAndre Hopkins back in his Texans days. I think that could be where we're headed here because there's a clear preference, right? So I want to communicate on the injury report, uh, the Browns, uh, let me see here. So who's limited? Joel Batonio was limited after yesterday's rest. He's dealing with an ankle. Jerome Ford was full today. James Hudson was full today with the ankle limited. Kareem Hunt with the ribs and groin. Newsom's back, completely full practice. And then Watson was limited on the throwing. So I think a lot of people are asking, you know, he's taking these rest days for the shoulder. Is he fine? I think he's fine. I, I mean, it's not the most settling thing for your quarterback to take a day off from throwing yesterday and then be limited in some of the throwing today with the label. I, I just I think he's taking a lot of hits. I've talked about it all week if you've caught the pod. He really needs to to dial back unnecessary hits. Some runs you're going to have to take hits. It's unavoidable uh, to an extent, whether that's by scheme design or a scramble and you need to get a certain amount of yardage, whatever, whatever. But he has to be smarter about some of the throwaways, some of the sacks he's taking, a lot of unnecessary stuff. So I'm not surprised to see he's a little sore given some of those things over the past two weeks. The Ravens side is... I should know before we switch over there, uh, the Browns are fully, everybody on the 53, active 53 is practicing. They're in a really good spot with health, right? Um, That can't be overlooked. Obviously, Nick losing Nick, losing Conklin, those are serious parts of the original 53, and we obviously understand that. But as far as the ticky-tack stuff, they're in a pretty good spot. The Baltimore side is completely different. They've lost several guys to injured reserve, right? They've uh, lost J.K. Dobbins, among some others. But there's also the ticky-tacky week-to-week injuries they're dealing with. Two straight days of no practice for Rashad Bateman dealing with a hamstring. Same for Odell Beckham dealing with a, an ankle. It, it seems like those guys aren't going to play. There could be a limited label tomorrow, uh, but I would imagine you're going to get a questionable. And we'll talk to Ken about that here in just a little bit. It's it's tough to see them playing. Gus Edwards feels like he's back on track. Out of concussion protocol, a couple straight full practices, so he will go. Kyle Hamilton was dealing with a back. He's wildly important to their defense. Didn't practice yesterday. Did in a limited fashion uh, just just yesterday on, on Thursday. We'll see what happens with Friday, but it seems like he's going to play. Justice Hill, the backup running back, DMP uh, Wednesday, limited Thursday. He's dealing with a foot. Kind of feels like he's on track. Marlon Humphrey, the best corner that they provide over there, is probably going to miss this one. Two DMPs as he's dealing with that foot still. Tyler Linderbaum, two straight limited practices. There's a vibe that he will be ready to go dealing with the ankle. David Ojabo and Odafe Owe, both DMPs for two straight days. Ankle and knee for Ojabo, and then Owe has um, an ankle he's dealing with. Doesn't feel like those guys are going to play, but again, we'll see. Can never be totally uh, blown away or surprised as long as there's a limited fashion. But you'd like to see guys with a full label uh, by that Friday practice. Ronnie Stanley, the left tackle. Uh, who's just been so hurt over the years. He's limited two straight days. He's dealing with a knee. He played week one, didn't play recently. We'll see how that one shakes out. And then Marcus Williams, again, Ken will lighten us a little bit more. There was a thought that he might have tore that pectoral. He was uh, given some options. He was limited yesterday, full today. So it feels like uh, with a full practice Thursday, he's probably trending toward playing. But you can see after last week, a lot of guys missed for for the Ravens. And now this week, they're still dealing with it, but they are getting some guys back but they are still really, really beat up, right? So um, just something to note there, and we'll obviously be able to uh, highlight that on on uh, 
Friday, sorry, Saturday show in the morning where we kind of give you an example of what everything's looking like. So yeah, that's it. I mean, that's kind of it around Berea. I don't think there's a ton going on. Otherwise, kind of very quiet in the buildup to this game. Like I said, we'll have some Saturday banter about this game, the meaning of it, the importance of it, and then you'll get your Sunday game day pod in the morning. But it is a huge, it's a huge game. There's a lot of prep, right? A lot of serious prep here as the Browns see this as a real opportunity against a beat up Ravens team to get to two and one in the division, get to three and one before the bye. They're in a really great spot hosting, you know, hosting a, a, a division game where Kevin and this team, this organization over the last four years has found a pretty fair, uh, I would say good, good to great amount of success at home. So uh, a really, really important football game for the Browns to win. And uh, it seems like they're in a good spot with the physical stuff to get the job done. We'll see if that comes to fruition as it's always tricky to play uh, tricky to play Baltimore. I do want to um, start doing a little bit more opponent look ahead. So I'll probably have some more specifics of things I'm keying in on a bit more granular in the coming days about coverages and things like that and how the Browns can exploit them. I want to do a little bit more of that for you. I, I think I'm kind of leaving uh, some things out there that I should be covering for you in the prep. So what you can understand during the game. Uh, I need to get better at that. So I'm going to provide more of that leading up to the game. It'll probably be your Saturday podcast because you really get to know, you get preliminarily what you think it's going to take to beat the Ravens. You dig in on the Ravens film. You talk to a a team, a guy who covers the team, a a guy or girl who covers the team. And then, you know, from there kind of try to apply it to what you're watching on film. Then maybe Saturday, I'll try to give you a bit more stuff that you can, you know, key in on Sunday. And then you get your keys when I talk with Brad Ward too. So I want you guys to feel as prepared as possible for when you sit down and watch your one o'clock game. If you're watching that game with somebody, you can have conversations. Well, the Ravens do this actually. They're, switching coordinators and here's what they like to run now or here's the coverages they like to run or I want you to feel really smart I want you to have that cooler talk right where you're 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 talking around the water cooler or you're drinking some beer with your buddies watching the game you have more insight than they do and hopefully you can get that from this podcast so I'm going to aim to do a little better in the preparation I think I recap it uh, better than anybody in the market Um, not to be pretentious there at all I just do a lot of work to try to do that for you guys and then I want you to feel like you're prepared the most uh, of any podcast as well. So listen, we're going to get over to uh, time with our guest, Ken McCusick. He, he does a great job. Film Study Ravens uh, is his uh, Twitter handle and, and a great guy, great conversation. He really knows the Ravens better than anybody else. He's been on this pod many times, and we hope to keep that going. So I'll always visit Ken on his podcast as well if you ever want to check that out. But before that, a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, welcoming Ken into the show. Anytime we get the Baltimore Browns rivalry thing going here, which, listen, we hope it becomes a bigger rivalry as the Browns can meet the Ravens at the level of success that they've had for so long. I like to pick apart Ken's, uh, you know, Ken's thoughts because I think he's one of the best people covering the Ravens. He's at film study Ravens on Twitter. Ken, what's happening? Welcome in today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jake. Always a pleasure. Yeah, let's dive in, man. I know we recorded on your side. So if you guys are interested in, you know, hearing me ramble on your Cleveland Browns a little bit more, I joined Ken's podcast and um, we, we went into a deep dive of where the Browns are and all of that. We're going to do something pretty similar here. And, uh, you know, if we're going to start looking at the big picture, Ken, we should probably give you update us on why, you know, how they get here. They're two and one. What happened last week with Indy and how do we all kind of get to the point that, that, that we're sitting where we are after three weeks? Yeah, so Ravens certainly had a chance to be 3-0. and In fact, they had about 11 chances in that game last week to be 3-0 and in terms of, of putting it away. They didn't get it done. Uh, that was very disappointing because it was a week after. They went to Cincinnati. They won a huge game, and they did it by proving something that we didn't know they could do. They could close out a game with the run still with Todd Monken at the helm instead of Greg Roman. And so that was a that was a huge win. And then they they take the air out of the tire again or out of the balloon, whatever analogy you want to make with that. Uh, that loss to Indy at home is uh, is just very frustrating. Yeah. So I think the Indy game was particularly interesting, you know, watching because Indy's a good defense, right? They, they're especially good at defending the run up front and they create some challenges in the passing game. Not that they're hugely personnel successful if you look at one by one, but they play a collective brand of defense there, which I think is which is unique. And the Browns will bring some challenges this week too. And Todd Monken is new, right? The Browns are connected to Monken. He was, he was back with the Browns back in 2019. We know most recently with Georgia and Ken from the outside looking in the, the reason you do make the change away from Greg Roman Roman to, to Todd Monken is you want more success, creativity uh, driven in the passing game. And, and so what I'm looking for with you so far as three weeks in, what feels different? Do you like the direction they're going and like, is it a complete move away from most things that Roman did? Right. Because it was so 13 personnel and, you know, the, the option stuff was such a thing to prepare for. And I, I don't know if it's that way anymore. So enlighten us on that. 
Okay, so let's start with with the heaviness of the personnel. The Ravens play the heaviest personnel sets in and maybe in NFL history in a relative sense, but definitely in the in decades last year in terms of the the the, the total of fullback, tight end, and OL six snaps uh, it was just off the charts. It was about two point thirty five for the entire year uh, per play. Okay, so it's using half your eligible receivers on on the, those heavies. It's very unusual, and it was a point of attack offense. Uh, Monken preached coming here as being a create space guy. You know, make the, def- the opposing defense defend every blade of grass. Uh, we'll attack it. A balanced offense doesn't have to be balanced in terms of of run and pass by number, but it has to be. It has to force the defense to defend the entire field. And what we've seen is amazingly much more Romanesque than what I had had expected to see. First of all, we've seen uh, you know pretty much more vertical, sorry, horizontal spreading of the field than vertical. They haven't, they haven't done much to challenge other teams vertically. Now, part of that is they face some good pass rushes and they've also been in a position here where um, the offensive line has sustained a lot of early injuries. So they've lost Tyler Linderbaum. They lost Ronnie Stanley uh, in week one, and they've had to make do since then. And it's not like the backups have been terrible at all, but they also haven't really been tested because the ball is coming out so quickly. And if you see Lamar Jackson's number, I think he's 259 and 243 the last two weeks in time to throw. And he's normally right around three seconds. He's a natural play extender. So there's lots of four and a halfs and fives included in a typical week that he's going to you know, get a chance to play out of structure and make something special happen. Well, that's out of the Ravens offense right now with their offensive line. Uh, in its current state. And I think that's one it, one very serious way where the Ravens do not match up well at all uh, with the Browns this week. Yeah, what, so what's the status on Linderbaum and Stanley? Are they, are they on track to be back this week? I, I don't believe so, but but they're both practicing again, which is at least nice. They started yesterday, so we'll see if, if either of them is, is back for Sunday. Uh, there's a real question right now as to whether Stanley's a better player than McCarry at left tackle. As, as unbelievable as that is to say, McCarry, wow. uh, sorry, Stanley had a very bad week in week one before he got hurt. And uh, just honestly, he's, he's played so little. Uh, they kept him out of everything. He, we, we talked on on, uh, on my show about vet days off, and the Browns have tried to be smart with that. The Ra- Ravens have been one of the teams that brought that to the league originally in terms of just giving tons of vet days off. And they uh, they gave Ronnie Stanley off. I believe every single padded practice he might have had one early on where he was on, but he was out of both the full contact uh, days with the with the Commanders. He didn't play in any preseason games, and all of a sudden he shows up for Week One and he and he did not look good at all. Um, and I guess that was against some middling Texans talent uh, on the edge there. He didn't face Will Anderson. That was mostly the right tackle. So, yeah, honestly, just. He, it was a problem. McCary gave up a sack, should have given up another sack last week. So Ravens had some problems at left tackle so far. It sucks because Ronnie's so talented when he was right. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know this, I'm just kind of reminding my audience that when he was healthy and right, and he was among the best in the NFL and it stinks to hear that. I hope he can get back to who he was. Um, you fill, fill us in the red. We're already on the line. Hit us on the, the rest of the line and, and how, how that is, is shaping up for this year. Cause I know Morgan Moses is playing pretty well right side. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, he's been the, the star so far, but let me go, let me go through from left to right here. John Simpson is a guy they brought in. They had kind of a phony baloney um, 
uh, competition going on at guard where the Salah, their sixth round pick, I won't even try and pronounce his his entire name, but it's a, it's a difficult one, um, was initially installed as the prospective starter and and the you know to try and start a competition. Effectively, what they, I think they were trying to do is John Simpson came from Oakland, my Las Vegas. I, I always got to call them Oakland, but probably came with a lot of excuses. Came with an incredible penalty history: seventeen penalties and fifteen hundred and forty-five NFL snaps, two false starts, thirteen holds, and two personal fouls. So it wasn't like you know fourteen false starts and three holds, which you might be able to accept. Um, it's just you know terrible history of holding and so hopefully the Ravens have got that under control and I think it was brilliant to do that he's he's played pretty well so far I I think certainly better than he did in Las Vegas I think for the first uh three weeks and he certainly did in the preseason as well uh so positive on him and they needed somebody good at left guard who was pretty big to match up with Linderbaum who's a smaller center is more likely to get off balance and have trouble um defending both a gaps and pass blocking uh, Linderbaum was there uh, only for a portion, most of the first week, actually, all but five snaps. Sam Mustafer came from uh, the Bears, and he's been pretty good. So uh, he's a player who was terrible in Chicago, comes to the Ravens, and that was the same. It wasn't true of Roquan, but Roquan is not as great a player as he as he has been for the Ravens. So, uh, you know, another guy who basically got out of a bad system, and I think, and got into a good structure and, and has played better. Uh, at, at right guard, uh, Kevin Zeitler, uh, unfortunately, has just looked terrible through three games. And he's not the pass blocker he used to be. Uh, he was He's the guy the Ravens need to be the North Star on their line uh, right now, but but it just hasn't been so far. So we're hoping this is an aberration and not age finally catching up with him at this point. Uh, he was interested in getting a new contract, um, not holding it over the team, you know, in the way that Dobbins did, for example, but uh, but interested in getting a new contract and and. and continuing to play in the NFL. I think he still should be, but uh, he's got to play a little better, honestly, at this point and, and turn it around. And then Morgan Moses has, has played terrific in, um, in in three games so far. Actually looked uh, not so great the first week against the Texans and Will Anderson. So with Zadaria Smith or with even if Miles Garrett is on that side for for some of the game, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll give him some trouble, but he's looked really good the last two weeks and, and really cut down on any sort of pass blocking errors. So, uh, incredibly mobile player for who he is. Like, I don't think of Morgan Moses as being a mobile offensive lineman, but he pulls on the back end of counters very well. And in my system, I don't give, uh, sorry, I don't charge a player if they can't find a block because there isn't one as a trailer, but he finds blocks regularly. And not only does he find them, he finishes them. So he's been very fun to watch as an offensive lineman. Yeah, he's been all over a lot of the national uh, guys who cover offensive line play, so it's been good to see him finding some success. I'll also be interested to see if the seventh rounder the Browns sent to you guys, Andrew yes. Voorhees, eventually. I know he's he, – I think he tore the ACL, right? And, and, uh, yeah, he tore the ACL at, before the combine or right at yeah. the combine, and then he yeah. did the the uh, bench anyway and, and did 38 reps, which led the entire combine. And just incredible to me that he could do that because – Hey, you do use your legs a little bit in lifting. It's not just your your, your torso you're using. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But Voorhees, I think, will replace Zeitler next year, probably. That, that was a, a guy before that round started that I was talking with our guys about. Like, I would just throw a dart at him and have him be a guy that can take over if you move on from Wyatt or Joel's going to be his career is kind of like 
Joel's still playing really well, but he's getting older, just a, a natural fill. And I'm like, oh, they traded to the Ravens. We'll see. Oh, okay, of course. It kind of finishes the the Browns. I feel like the Ravens know who like Browns Twitter likes in the draft, and they find a way to uh, <laughs> always draft them. It's it's ironic. Like Justin Matabuke was a great example of that over the years. Uh, who was another one? Travis Jones, another okay. guy that we really like. So yeah, yeah. I, could, I could I could go on and on. We'll talk about those guys in a second. Um, okay, so wide receiver. You know, you, you go out, you invest, right? You get Odell, uh, late investment, nonetheless an investment. You go out, you get, you draft Zay Flowers. Um, how does it? I know Rashad Bateman. There's talent here. It feels like the injury bug is hit, and that's an impact on things. And it's probably, unfortunately, going to define some of Rashad Bateman's early NFL career here. But where are they through three games? Do you feel better about it than you have in the past? Because I know this has been a spot that they've wanted to improve, Ken. I I'm been a loud, outspoken critic of the Beckham signing, and I, I I ask people to say, give me give, don't tell me how many yards Odell Beckham is going to have off on that way. Do this. Tell me how many games he's going to play. Tell me how many targets per game you're expecting him to have, and tell me how many yards per target. And then we'll multiply those three things together, and that's yards. And yep. everybody wants to say he's going to play 17 games, and and I could have told you right from the start. You know, my over under was 12, and you know he's he's. He's hurt now. He's you know he's missed uh, uh, one game. He, he he played two. He's shown some veteran savvy in terms of, of drawing penalties, which has been positive. Uh, he's not a separator anymore, uh, but he he's still not a bad contested catch guy. He has some route running skills that I think he can impart to some of the younger guys on the team. That that, that is a positive thing. But eighteen million for one year or fifteen million for one year, I just can't see it. And the only way I can justify it is that it's really part of Lamar Jackson's contract. And not his own. So, uh, yeah. so that, is he going to play? Is what's that looking I, like? I don't know. I, I my yeah. guess would be probably probably no, but I I don't know for sure. I think he did come back to practice yesterday, so it's it's certainly possible. Um, but, but anyway, uh, Bateman is is probably not going to play hamstring injury, and he was out yesterday in terms of practice. So I think it's unlikely he plays. Uh, great route runner, and unfortunately. Um, Injuries have hit, and and he's not built up the trust with Lamar that some other receivers have, like Beckham and like Flowers, in terms of of feeding the football. Flowers, I think, has been misutilized a little bit. Tremendous talent, ability to take the top off the defense, but in part because the offensive line play has been not where they'd want it to be. They haven't felt the confidence to try and um, generate downfield opportunities for him that would take the safety out of there. You know, they they just they need some alternate method to create time and space for Lamar because Lamar has been outstanding with ample time and space. He's been okay with the ball out quick. He's been terrible under pressure. And that's where, you know, this Browns matchup looks like a big uphill battle for the Ravens from my perspective in terms of, of what they'll have to deal with. So Mark Andrews missed a little bit of time. I think he missed week one. How's he, is he back? Is he good? Is it Isaiah likely getting the second to 12 personnel snaps? And then, um, We'll just ask tight end, then we'll go to running back after that. Sure, so how, sure. how's that group looking? Andrews looks fine again. Good connection with Lamar. I, I wouldn't say he's made a bunch of explosive plays. Again, the Ravens need to get their play action game back going like it was yeah. in 2019. Um, it may mean they need to go to some pistol to do it because uh, Lamar Jackson is not really a turn-your-back-on-the-field guy. Wants to run the run the uh, offense out of shotgun to keep his field vision there and then doesn't really like to turn his back. So if you're going to do that, then you have to have some sort of hand check going to a, to a running back that's passing by and pistol and try and, and, uh, and make throws from there. And they were great in 2019 at that. And they've really lost that since. And a lot of the throws to Andrews since have been forced 
and the passer rating to him has been going consistently down because Lamar's throwing a lot of interceptions on those balls. So um, last week it was likely let them down in a very, very key situation. That was about one of the 11 times they had a chance to put the game away. It was on a third and three, and he dropped a pass that was for about five yards uh, right, to, right through his arms and uh, very frustrating. So, uh, you know, likely I don't think has a real high trust factor with Lamar right now. He did have an early uh, catch. Uh, Charlie Kolar dropped a, a big ball in week one and was inactive, or sorry, in week one, yeah, with Andrews out, and has been inactive since. So uh, he was a guy that th- there was hope he'd be a part of the offense this year too. So, all right, the, the running back thing. You talked about Dobbins holding the money for so he, we, You and I have, again, we've met many times. We've talked about mm-hmm. these guys. It, it unfortunately looks like Ohio State got the best years of J.K. Dobbins, which is yes. a shame because so, so talented. You lose him to an Achilles I think Gus and Justice Hill, who have been around the organization for a while, are both a little nicked up. Like, what's going on there? Is there another body they're bringing in off the practice squad, or how's that look? Yeah, so they've they've got. Um, uh, first of all, Justice Hill may not play this week again. We'll we'll see. Um, I don't know exactly where he is, but he is a little banged up. Uh, Edwards had, was thought to be in a concussion protocol, but but he's been cleared of that apparently because he's playing yesterday. So I because th- he practiced yesterday, I think he'll play. That's okay. very good news for for the Ravens. Their their backup guys off the practice squad. They they went geriatric again with Melvin Gordon and uh, and Kenyon Drake, who was on the team last year. Kenyon Drake was not terrible at getting the yards he was supposed to out of runs, but he doesn't really add too much as a receiver. Uh, this week he had a, a 24 yard reception, which ended in a fumble, uh, unfortunately. So you know. It, just always a little bit short of what you need him to be. Melvin Gordon is another guy. You can believe PFF ratings or not, but his PFF pass blocking number has declined every single year of his NFL career over nine years, which is just about impossible to do. Just, just about impossible. (laughs) It's not Dobbins, but if you get Gus back, I'm sure you feel a little bit better about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. Kenyon Drake, you, I watched that clip. It was a great little design. Put the guard out uh, late there. I, I had to watch it like five times to try to make sure it wasn't. I think the NFL is still struggling with the legal man downfield, and it was perfectly timed. It was a great mm-hmm. little little Texas route where they sneak the guard out. You I don't see you'll see that very often where you sneak the guard out on a downfield concept to block the backer isoed up on him. So that was fun. And then, but that's been Kenyon Drake's career. He'll make plays and then he'll fumble. Uh, so I just is so frustrating with that, but um, I just want to talk I, about that for, for one second here. Kevin yeah. Zeitler gets a zero on that play on my offensive line scoring because he was three yards downfield when the ball was thrown and the, the Ravens are very vulnerable to IDP penalties. Small factor here. IDP is a lot more serious a penalty than, than false start. They're both five mm-hmm. yards. But a post-snap penalty is way worse than a pre-snap penalty in terms of you give an option to the defense. 100%. And those are usually – you'll the result of those are big plays coming back too yes. so often, you know, which is another crippling mental effect of, of offensive football. So, all right, anyway, let's switch to defense. So it's still – um, it's still a very talented group. You know, we're, we're going to talk about some injuries that are lingering, but up front, we'll start there. I'll let you go through. It's still an odd front, still doing a lot of those fun things. And I think it seems like Clowney's off to a pretty good start over there. Yeah. Clowney's having a, having a terrific, uh, uh, year for pressure. I think, you know, sometimes people are an ugly duckling and they turn into a swan and obviously Clowney spent most of his career as a four, three end. And it may be that a three, four outside linebacker, you know, at least the rush part of those responsibilities is really suits him well. He's a guy who'd only dropped three percent of his NFL snaps to coverage, 
Uh, and uh, Bowser, the other guy there, who dropped 34% in his career, 32%, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. But anyway, 10 times as often. You know, so so uh, uh, Clowney's got a little bit different responsibility. He has dropped a few times this year, but mainly what he's given the Ravens is is some terrific individual pressure that the team has really been missing. So uh, that's been positive. They've gotten some pressure from the inside, but they're definitely they're not they don't have a Miles Garrett or a Zadaria Smith or anybody like that who creates a lot of individual sacks. All their sacks are schemed up by trying to get a free runner, as Hamilton got three three times this last week or by trying to get uh, two combined pressures to turn into a, uh, a cleanup sack. So, but they don't, they don't have an Aaron Donald. They don't have a Miles Garrett. They don't have a Zedaria yeah. Smith to get individual sacks. How's the run defense doing between Pierce and Matabuka and, and Broderick and those guys inside? Yeah, I, it looks good. Um, uh, Michael Pierce has been terrific. So he, he looks like he's back to a, a much younger and, and uh, more effective Michael Pierce. He's put on a lot of weight. He's playing out 355 pounds. And I saw him go up against Orlando Brown on the left mm. edge, offensive left edge, uh, uh, you know, when they played the Bengals. And uh, he looks a lot bigger than Orlando Brown. And Orlando Brown, you know, one of the heaviest players in NFL history when he first came into the league. And he's down about yeah. 345 now. And I, it does not look like it's 355 to 345. Let me put it that way. It's fascinating. I, I, I He's always been a stellar player you know as far as interior stuff but getting him out and moving him around is is a lot of fun so a couple guys who are going to be um, important in edge whether it's now or later um david ajabo odafe owe um are they good to go what's the vibe around them no i think both of them will, will not play this week we'll see but uh ajabo left after four week four snaps this last week left them very very shorthanded outside linebacker which was one of the reasons why they ended up losing the ball game um adafe owe injured in week week Two week one, week one, I think, and a very serious injury. And, and uh, he's been in a walking boot observed that way. So I don't know when he's going to be back. It's not a season ending injury. They didn't even put him on IR, um, but the Ravens have already been playing it. They, their, their entire IR for this last game was star players who they, sorry, their entire inactive list was star yeah. players who they didn't put on IR. And it's, you know, it's, it's really hard. They had to release their third quarterback just to, to, you know, have enough spots so that they could they could get all these guys onto the uh, inactive list. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going to trend in the right direction eventually. It's. Um. You know, it's just it, you look at the some of these depth charts. I like to look at our lads just for names, and it's just so much red. It's it's wild. Mm -hmm. So okay, we'll switch to linebacker real quick. I know you and I have had many chats about the Jacob Phillips, Patrick Queen thing over the years and jacob phillips has kind of phased himself out of clear just he's hurt just just can mm -hmm. perpetually injured but uh, is is patrick queen trending in a better direction you know we, i think we know roquan is pretty dang good but how's how's patrick queen looking to support him and then is trenton simpson another guy I liked in the draft has he found any early time no time for simpson yet um yeah. uh, he, he, not on defense anyway he's played lots of special teams he's been he's been active each week which is something because rookies don't always get that but he's been a core special teamer uh, in terms of uh, of Queen, uh, his his level of play has has increased in years three and four dramatically. Year three, he's a pretty good player. Year four, he's he's looking a little bit better than that, I would say. Um, but he was, you know, multiple discussions. I've been a, a very vocal critic of Queen, and even at the beginning of this year with the Ravens' shortage at cornerback, I was in favor of them addressing it by trying to find a find a trading partner for Patrick Queen. The Philadelphia Eagles were down an inside linebacker. They have an mm -hmm. incredible amount of depth or did in the preseason anyway at, at that position. 
uh, and I would have liked to have seen a, a move made there. But uh, but with Queen has played so well now in the first three games that that uh, I'm kind of happy it didn't happen. Okay, good stuff. I know those guys will present one of the more unique linebacker challenges the Browns have seen. And you know you referenced some of the stuff around um, Lamar and his worst efforts are against pressure. Most quarterbacks don't handle pressure well. It's the hardest part of the position. That's certainly been a spot where Deshaun has been at his worst. Uh, getting himself back acclimated to the NFL is handling pressure. And we'll see if they put those linebackers into an active part of pass rush, like you mentioned, to scheme up some things. Talking about scheming up things, Kyle Hamilton now playing a little bit more slot corner, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. three sacks last week. Talk about the corner group and how they're how they're handling the Marlon Humphrey absence, who's such a big figure for them. Yeah, so that's the that's the Ravens' biggest weakness now on defense, uh, and, and it still is, even though they, these guys have played pretty well. Uh, for the first couple of weeks, and they've got Ronald Darby and uh, and uh, Rock Yassin are playing left corner and splitting time there. Uh, Darby's still getting more of the time than Yassin, which is a little surprising. But Brandon Stevens, even more surprising, is the number one cornerback with Humphrey out. Uh, and they they had a guy who played pretty well for two weeks, Ardarius Washington, and they lost him due to injury. I, it's some sort of an injury he had surgery for already, so. Uh, I, I assume he's going to miss the rest of the year. I don't know. I have not heard that said specifically. So they brought Kyle Hamilton back down to play nickel again, where he played so well last year. Um, part of me says maybe that's ill-advised because he could play a, a great strong safety and maybe be a bigger superstar there if you play him on the back end. But on the other hand, when you're playing cover two all the time, you force the other team to throw underneath to try and pick up yards that way. And, Having Hamilton on the back end of cover two, when you have somebody else who can play the back end competently, and they have Daryl Worley who took that job this this last week, means you're taking Hamilton out of the play in a certain way. Yeah, sure, you can make some downhill tackles, but you'd much rather have him at slot corner. And he had one of the really dominant games ever. I think it was the best ever game by a nickel in Ravens history, and that's saying a lot um, this last week. It, it it would be in the discussion for one of the greatest defensive games ever by any Raven. And you know how, how, you know, long a list that is, including all of Ed Reed's great multi-interception games. So uh, it's, it's a, it was a fantastic game out of Hamilton. He's definitely, you know, I have a, a co-host on one show that I do that calls him the queen of the chessboard, And that's a, that's a pretty good definition of him. That's, that's exciting stuff considering the investment there, right? And the, the ability for yeah. him to adapt and help out a corner room. So they, they're playing Geno Stone. It's, it looks like I see Marcus Williams is on the injured list. How's he looking? Is he playing? And if they do go heavier defensive back personnel groups, who do they bring onto the field to, to sort of do those roles? Okay, so the Ravens are now a committed nickel team, and they've been a dime team pretty much their entire existence. But but now they have Queen and Roquan, and they're always on the field, and and they uh, they deal with that, and they play five defensive backs. So they they've they played I think two snaps of dime so far this year, and they've been you know like end of game, end of half kind of situations to to try and make sure they're defending the goal line effectively. Uh, so they, they they don't really uh, put the extra defensive back on the on the field. So they they play five almost every single play. The nickel has been terrifically. Uh, effective. Geno Stone has been very good stepping in for Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams, they thought he had a torn pec. We thought he'd be lost for the season. They decided it was not that serious. He's been rehabbing it and he may be back this week. So if he is, you know, this is one of the great things about the Ravens safety depth is they really have three free safeties or maybe two free safeties and a guy like Hamilton who can play just about anywhere uh, that, you know, really gives them more flexibility. I've said this often at times, I think on, on your show as well, is that you have 
a lot of uh, defensive coordinators talk about the flexibility of their safeties when they, and it's usually a, an indicator. It's a red flag. They've got two strong safeties. They don't have a free safety. Uh, but but the Ravens really are, are very blessed with multiple free safeties. The pieces are so good. It's just about drawing in, you know, the, the health and getting those guys to comfortable spots that, that'll be important. It is really interesting to hear them playing a lot of cover two, and it is also interesting to hear them being a nickel team because you're right, they have been one of the more unique personnel defenses for so long. Um, so those will be big changes. So try to put that into play. Um, you know, anything special teams stand? Can I keep telling my audience special teams is just dwindling? The kickoffs are there; it's a dying activity, and you know, punt is the the, the punt stuff seems like it's just so many fair catches these days. So, um, is, is Justin still on top of his game? I mean, I guess you're talking about how well the kickers are going to handle things these days. You know what I mean? J- Jordan Stout's been very good punting, so he he okay. kept them in that game late uh, against the uh, the Colts. And uh, Tucker missed a 61-yard field goal, which was unfortunate. Came about a yard and a half short, uh, and he's he's missed a couple of long ones this year. He hasn't missed any easy ones, so uh, that that hasn't been a been a problem. Uh, this was a week where, unbelievably, the Colts kicked four field goals over 50 yards, and they were they were not wow. short ones. They were 52 and three 53s. Yeah. So they were they you know, and not too much, not too often do the Ravens lose a game because their kicker is not as good as the other teams, but that this was one of these games. Well, listen, on the way out the door, that was a wild game because that was one I tuned into after the rise. You're kind of watching it, paying attention to it, and I a couple of jaw-dropping moments. A catch by Michael Pittman that was just kind of unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those games, and there was a flag, as you know. I'm sure you've talked about to your folks. That flag, flag that didn't get, yeah. didn't get thrown that should have been thrown. But um, you'll have those, right? You know, the Browns had their week two, like, fluky, wild outcome type. It's early season variants, I call it. I think things will settle in, and – you know, Ken, I think these two teams will be pushing each other to try to win this division. I really do envision that being a large part of things based on early season play. I will never uh, ask for score predictions. So I think that's kind of bananas, but I just ask your vibe. How confident are you in the Ravens to go into to Cleveland and get this one done? I'm I'm not at all. And I, I tend to be kind of a worry wart anyway, in terms of what can go wrong instead of w- what do I expect to go right for, for the Ravens. But I will say this week, this is this is not a good matchup for the Ravens with their current injury situation at all. And I think the Browns would give them a tough game, even if they were completely healthy. But uh, but the Ravens are not, and uh, and I think that really plays into the Browns' hands very well. I think they're catching the Ravens at the at the right time to uh, to have an upper hand. To me, I I was thinking about what the spread ought to be on this game, and I thought you know, you know five five and a half maybe would be what I kind of expect. I look at the paper; it's two and a half. I think people are are kind of thinking about offense maybe and they're thinking about Lamar but they're not really thinking about what the current situation is you know in the trenches for both teams for example yeah and there's a level of respect too that that still lingers I, I don't think we do that with gambling you try not to but like you know trusting the Browns still is a hard thing for some people to do and there are elements of that that go into it a little bit listen Ken my audience I think is drawn to this show because we do X's and O's and we try to hit on things that not many shows do and I know you do the same thing and that's why we jive so well when we get together remind folks if they're if they're looking for Baltimore content to know their division a little bit better where they can find you both audio and written form I appreciate that. You can always talk to me on at Film Study Ravens. Love to hear from Browns fans and and any questions you have, I'm I'm happy to answer. Filmstudybaltimore.com is the website uh, and uh, the tons of podcasts out there. I down to eight podcasts per week, uh, very guest driven format, but uh, but have some specific shows and always very technical. Listen, we love having Ken on. We appreciate his insights. Like I said, check him out and follow at the least follow him so you can stay in tune with 
what the Ravens are doing and, and keep yourself better tabs on the AFC North at film study. Ravens is where you will find him. You'll find that link to his direct Twitter account in the bio description of this podcast. We appreciate Ken's time and we appreciate your time guys for stopping by and continuing to make this show a part of your daily routine. I remind you on the way out the door to rate and review the pod so that more Browns fans can find this podcast when they're looking for it and join us at the OBR where it's only $1 your first month to join the best, I think, online Browns community that you will find. So take advantage of that. Andrew Spade and I will be back tomorrow to look around the NFL and look at some college ball and have that podcast for you, and you'll get your game day on Sunday, and before you know it, it'll be Browns-Ravens. So thanks for stopping by. A special shout-out to Ken again for joining us and taking his time to do that, and to you guys for being here on a Friday and listening to this episode. Like I always say, go Browns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.